Paul writing in Romans. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God for no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified, made right with God, by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. And please be seated. Mm. Ooh. Hmm. I will make it through. Well, happy anniversary, Protestants. Has anybody else noticed that? We are at 500 years after the Reformation, 1517. And when is the day we celebrate the nailing of Martin Luther's 95 theses that we take as the point that kicked it off? October 31st. Now, every year, usually All Saints Day supersedes this, but we're celebrating this coming week, All Saints, and we didn't have our sings pressure today. So, yes, we get to do Reformation Day. Who is just thrilled about Martin Luther? Oh, come on now. Well, here's something I am thrilled with, and it took me a while to get this. You can't know where you're going until you know where you've been. Ever heard that? There's all, there, there's fancier ways to put it. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat. Okay. But really, you don't know where you're going. You don't know how you got there if you don't know the paths that have been trod before you. And we want to do just a little of that today and then bring it home, hopefully at the end of it, say, okay, what has the Reformation from 500 years ago have to say to us? We we should expect it should say something. We read the words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago. So we know that the past can speak. Now, just imagine, if you will, 
1517, Martin Luther kicked off the Reformation. This was a time when the new world was barely known. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the year. Yeah, some of y'all went to the same schooling I did. Yes. So, just about 25-ish years after the new world was found, here you have this world of Martin Luther. Now, the American Revolution, the Methodist movement, John Wesley himself was 200 years in the future. But perhaps most significantly to me, as I was looking back over this and saying, well, what would this history have to say to me, was that their image of Jesus was kind of different from the one we have today. They would not have said, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. It was more built on the image of Christ as the righteous judge. As a matter of fact, this is an image, the last judgment, from the 15th century. And here you have Jesus, the sheep and the goats, okay, right hand sheep, left hand goats, his left, not ours. You have on his right, Mary pleading with him. On his left, they said it was John the Baptist pleading with him. And here are the angels escorting the saints into heaven. And here are the devils dragging the others to hell. This was the image of Christ as the divine judge. Now, we've got to set this up, so bear with me. Christianity in the world of Martin Luther. Now, Christians had faced on and off persecution. You might remember that at the end of the New Testament. They're talking about the persecutions they would be going through. Until around the mid-300s and you had Emperor Constantine, the Christian emperor who united East and West under the banner of the cross, you know. But Constantine had a problem that other Christians of his time also seemed to have, and it involved their understanding of sin and of baptism. Now, let me ask you this. True or false? Even after salvation, even after baptism, Christians still tend to struggle with sin, true or false? Fess up. Yes. We know this. What was it? If we are, if we say we have no sin, then we are liars and the truth is not in us. Well, they had a problem with that because the way they understood baptism was very familiar for those of us who might have grown up with some Baptist upbringing. They would take the person, if they could find running water, they would do this. Take, so it was cold. They would take them, dunk them under, Raise them back up. You are dead in Christ. You are raised to a new life. Is that familiar to anyone? Okay, all my sins are washed away. He made me whiter than snow. That's familiar. But now their question came, wait a minute, he washed me whiter than snow. I was dead and I was raised. I was washed. I was given a robe. What about the sin I may commit next week? How does that get washed away? Now, some were so concerned about this 
that they, following Constantine's example, said, I'm going to wait to be baptized until I'm right at the point of death. Now, does that sound kind of risky to y'all? And he did. He waited to the end of his life. He had an illness that was terminal. He tried to make it down to the Jordan River. just He couldn't get there. But he waited until near death to be baptized. Now that sin conundrum started driving a lot of developments in the Christian church. Well, okay, my guilt is forgiven in Christ, but my my sin has still created a stain upon my soul. How can I make this right? Well, the answer came back, you do righteous works that erases that stain. But there was another way. Those that had been especially saintly, you might even call them saints, would have done more than enough to wash away all those stains that would say, well, the person would need to receive this, otherwise it's going to have to be burned out of them before they get to heaven. Hello, purgatory. So, the Pope said, as the vicar of Christ, as the person in the seat of St. Peter, I can give out that extra grace, that extra washing to those who deserve it. Okay? Are you all following this? Because it's a little different from our way of thought. Some of you might be very familiar with it, though. And what that would do... because. I left out a part. You'll have to forgive me. A part of that was the reason the idea of purgatory sprung up. You're forgiven in Christ, but you still have these stains of sin. What's going to purify you because you can't enter heaven in an impure state? Well, it says that we have wood, hay, and stubble, and there's precious stones and jewels that will survive the test of Christ and that if the person has no good works in Christ that they will enter into heaven only as someone escaping from the fire. From that little bit came that doctrine of that purifying place or that purging place or that purgatory place. And by the 1500s, the get out of purgatory free credit was up for sale. You want to talk about a good fundraiser? Imagine if you could monetize forgiveness. wouldn't have any budget problems. You would have people come by and say, oh my goodness, I just did this. I earned 50 years in purgatory. Okay, we need a little help with the soup kitchen. Okay, time off for good behavior. As I understand it, on All Saints Day, if you went around and saw the different relics and went to the different statues and said the right prayers, you could earn over one million years off of your time in purgatory. You know what that implies? That it was quite possible, maybe even easy, to get more than a million years in the fires of purgatory before making it into heaven. How does that sound 
my brother and sister? What would you do to go straight to heaven if that were what you believed? If that was the image you had of Christ? Now, our dear friend Martin Luther, bless his heart, he wasn't from a well-to-do German family. As a matter of fact, he was going to be a lawyer. He was going to be rolling in the dough. His mom and daddy were so proud. They had their retirement fund coming their way. But he was on a trip, caught out in the elements when a lightning storm came about. And I, this made me feel so close to him. Have you ever done this? Lord, if you will just save me from this, I will blank. Ever done that? Now he, I think he prayed it through St. Anna, but it was basically the same thing. Oh God, if you'll save me from this, I'll become a missionary to China. I'll go to Indonesia. I'll do whatever you want me to do. He said, if you save me from this, I'll become the most opposite of a lawyer, basically. I will become a monk. Now the thing with Martin was he took that vow seriously much to his parents' dismay. He became a monk, he became a professor of theology, a composer, a priest, and he was scandalized by, okay, go out and here you can get some time off from you or for your dead parent who's already being purged in the flames. You can get them straight into heaven. And it was an excellent fundraiser. And you had some good salespersons out there doing it. He was scandalized by that, but he was also terrified. Because he kept looking to find sin in his life. And he kept finding it. And the deeper he looked, the more he saw. Like Wesley, 200 years later, he would struggle with peace. How do I know that I am in a right standing with God? Now, those two things came together and in on October 31st, 1511, he wrote to his bishop, sent along with it a copy of 95 little things that he wanted to discuss. He also took those, kind of like you would do at a college, you would take something, find that bulletin board in the center of campus and put it on it. He did that at the church of, I believe, All Saints Church in Wittenberg. And even before the internet, those 95 questions or comments or things to talk about went viral across the land. Now his great insight was this. Luther, along with his contemporaries, viewed the righteousness of God. Remember that? 
But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. Now, every time that he would see the righteousness of God in his mind, he would think that is what is separating me from God. That is why I am whipping myself. This is why I am fasting dangerously. This is why I am climbing the steps on my knees. This is why I'm doing all of these things and can never get any peace because I know my righteousness is nothing compared to God's. He had the insight that now we take for granted. Just imagine I'm reading this and righteousness of God is what separates you from him. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. Now make that shift that Martin made. Now, wait a minute. Paul here is talking about the righteousness that is given to me, that righteousness I am clothed in that is given to me freely through grace by believing and trusting in Christ. Then the righteousness of God becomes that thing which delivers you and saves you because you realize, and he he is right, he said, I can't earn it. I can't eliminate it. I can't be the one to fix myself. I just have to trust in Jesus. And that's where we're getting on familiar ground. That was his great insight. That was the great engine of the Reformation. That was perhaps its greatest recovery of Christian truth, although there were others that came along with it. And for us, it made the difference between the image of Jesus as judge and this image or the thought behind it. Something that they could not understand back then. The image of Jesus as the one that you hold on to that is lifting you up. The image of Christ as blessed Redeemer. And for that, we should be able to say, Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But in studying all of this and all of the great story from that time, the thing that kept punching me in the shoulder, causing the frown lines in my forehead, The biggest difference I saw between them and us, the most unfamiliar thing to me was the view of sin. And I think maybe the biggest change from then to now is how our anguish over sin has lessened over the years. I mean, 500 years ago, they obsessed over it. They monetized the washing away of it, all to feel in some tiny measure secure and hope that maybe in a million years they'd be able to get to heaven. In our culture, we have almost done away with sin as a concept except on Sunday. 
Small sins, well, those are mistakes. Our tendency to sin, well, that's being human. We blame our behavior on either our parents or our genetics, and when we feel worthless inside, we cover that over with a good dose of self-esteem. Should we? Seems to me in our culture we're avoiding some of the big questions instead of struggling with them. Are we willing to look at the things which might actually be a sin? I was thinking about this today. I'm going to give you an example, and it's one of mine. God knows about it. This one's going to get me in trouble with my wife. Not big trouble, y'all. Okay. Last night, yesterday, Kimmy was kangarooing throughout the house. She had been scratching. She has a problem with those bug bites on her feet and legs. She had scratched the blood out and then went hopping around leaving blood all over the carpet. I was in the other room and I... Have you ever heard your wife get dangerous? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I heard that sound which meant, oh no, something happened. Now, if I were loving my neighbor as myself, what should I have done? This isn't brain surgery. Go in there, see what's wrong, try to help out. What did I do? (laughs) Back away. (laughs) Get very quiet. Like any creature under threat. And then, after about five or ten minutes, come out and hope that the bomb has already exploded and the fallout has already rained down. What happened? And for the last ten minutes, Lori's been doing this. On the carpet. I felt so bad. (laughs) But I didn't tell her until now with the pulpit between us. what I did. (laughs) There's a reason these things are made of solid wood. Uh, Now, I I know it's funny, but okay. I know what I should have done. I didn't do it. Now, I would count that as a small thing. Back then, they probably would have said, oh my goodness, you need to be shriven for that. You need to do some work for that. Because even that little thing, that little thing has separated you from God. If His righteousness is infinite and you have committed a single sin, you are cut off from Him. Thank goodness we have forgiveness in Christ, but now you have to make it up, which means I've probably got to buy flowers or 
going to take her out to eat somewhere today. Um, or now, no, probably it's going to be washing dishes and scrubbing the other floors. Okay, I, I get it. But see, it's so hard for us to get, to really get that something free can be that valuable. I mean, let's say I do an experiment right now and say, you know, I've got $50 for the first person that raises their hand. Why didn't you raise your hand? Too good to be true, right? What if I said I have 10 bucks for whoever can name every book in the Bible? Yeah, some of you start going Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Yeah. Because you would think, hey, I've done something to earn that 10 bucks. Okay. And I could see that he would be willing to part with that 10 bucks. 50 bucks for raising my hand? Oh, that's just, that's just too good. What about someone who says, it's all right, I forgive you? If you think they mean it, doesn't it just break your heart and make you cry? But if you think they don't, how much are your wheels turning? How can I get back on their good side? That is how we think. And into the midst of this, God comes with this? Trust in me and I will redeem. But here's the thing. I think we've lost our astonishment in that. And I think part of why we've lost that sense of astonishment is we have lost or minimized our concept of sin. I, I told you mine. What's yours from yesterday? What about you? What have you done this week? What did you do in the past 24 hours that you, do you have no regrets in the past 24 hours? None whatsoever? Nothing you wished you had done differently, you know, maybe you should have done differently. Any little thing that you went, oh, I, I was tired, that's why that happened. I've been out of sorts. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. I've got a lot of stress on me. There's some uncertainty. It's nagging on me. It's just a little thing. What if it is those collections of little things that actually are most often the things that separate us from Him? As they build up, and we minimize it. Now see, the, the inside of the Reformation was that we are not saved by doing. We are saved by trusting in Jesus. That does not mean go out and paint the town red. Remember, Luther had this conviction, this conviction that John Wesley had, that the publican in the parable had, that Paul had when he thought of all his good works and qualifications and called them refuse compared to God's holiness. The insight that we are sinful creatures who even, <coughs> even without trying, 
We break God's heart by wounding ourselves, wounding others. And sometimes God forgive us. We do it with that little bit, if we ever admit it to ourselves, of the smirk. If we shrug it off without dealing with that, without weeping over that, without taking it seriously, that yes, it is a big deal. Just a little, just a little bit of emotional cheating on my spouse wouldn't hurt. It's just flirting. Well, you know, that was just a bit of a white lie. How white was it? Oh, that 20 bucks, they'll never miss it. Oh, you knew that someone needed your help and you got conveniently busy. Or you backed away slowly. If we shrug all of that off without dealing with it, and then we try to say, but it's okay, God forgives me. That's not the gospel. That's a people fooling themselves. But thank God Luther also had this insight, the insight that John Wesley had when he heard the preface, Luther's commentary on Romans being read. This insight that Jesus was teaching in the parable of the publican, the realization that even though God's holiness is unattainable by us, it is freely given to us upon repentance. Through trusting in Jesus. And that even though we cannot reach Him, He reaches down to us. That is the Reformation. And that those are the things we need to hold. <laughs> Bless their hearts, 500 years ago, they were so struggling with sin and forgiveness on that end of the spectrum. Now we're all the way on the other. I think maybe we need to take sin seriously, not just to make ourselves go, oh, I am horrid, but just so we can be reminded how merciful Jesus is and actually let Him take those little things that we think of as little things and start to change them and make them into Him. Whiter than snow, whiter than snow. He took me and made me whiter than snow. Guys, there is still a place for repentance and thank God there is still a place for forgiveness. We can find it here, but He is everywhere. Take it seriously. Have just a little talk with Jesus. He'll make it right. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this...
This is the challenge of your mercy and grace. Our thanksgiving over the freely given gift through Christ. The joy of the forgiveness that we can experience through what your Son has done. That washing and cleansing of us moment by moment through the presence of the Spirit. But Father, help us not be as those who have begun to forget who they are and why your Son on the cross was necessary for us to make it into your presence. For us to be changed. Lord help us remember on this Reformation Sunday. That great truth. That we are forgiven by grace through faith. And that it is not a light thing. It is not a cheap thing. It is not something that we take for granted ever. It is something that every once in a while. Drives us to prayer and to tears in your presence. Lord, let us find those places where we feel, where we feel broken and we feel guilt. Let us take them and offer even those parts of ourselves to you. Forgive us, we pray, Lord, and free us for joyful obedience. In Christ's name, amen.